This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. So hello everybody, my name is Graham Stanley, speaking to you live from Mexico City. The topic of today's show is all about generative artificial intelligence tools and how they can be used in education. And my guest is a teacher and trainer, Talia Montano Andrade. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome everybody and hello from Mexico City. My name is Graham Stanley, as I said earlier, and my guest today is Talia Montano Andrade. Talia Montano Andrade has over 25 years of professional experience in the fields of teacher training and corporate education. She holds a BA and master's degree in pedagogical innovation from Anahuac University in Mexico, as well as the national and international certifications in training and methodology from the University of Cambridge and International House. And she specializes in language, methodology and training. Talia is currently pursuing her doctorate in education sciences at Anahuac University. In addition to her extensive educational background, Talia plays a crucial role as the Director of Product Development at Experta, creating training solutions. She is also an evaluator of educational materials for CREFL and UNESCO, contributing to the advancement of education on a global scale. As I mentioned earlier, the focus of today's show is on Talia's special interest in artificial intelligence in education, in particular how educators can use generative AI and how and why they can encourage students to use them. More about that when I talk to Talia after the Teachers Talk Radio News. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
Ofsted finds itself in the news again as inspections paused for two week period to allow inspectors to undertake mental health awareness training begin again on the 22nd of January. ITV News shared the results of a survey of almost 2,000 school leaders, which showed that 97% support the removal of single word judgments. The survey, carried out by NAHT Union, followed the outcome of the inquest into the death of Ruth Perry. The union has urged Ofsted to implement a number of changes, including a mechanism for school leaders to halt an inspection where an inspector's conduct falls below standards, extending the notice period schools receive for inspection, and asking them to revert to a process, however temporarily, of ungraded inspections similar to those conducted during the pandemic. Meanwhile, the BBC reports that Ofsted has apologised fully for the first time for the role it played in Ruth Perry's death. The apology came at the same time as Ofsted responded to the coroner's Prevention of Future Deaths notice. In the PFD response, new Ofsted chief Sir Martin Oliver said, such tragedies should never happen again, and that he apologised sincerely for the part inspection played in her death. Since the death of Mrs Perry, schools judged as inadequate on safeguarding alone are now re-inspected within three months. Ofsted also changed its confidentiality rules to allow heads to speak to colleagues, family, friends and health professionals about outcomes of inspections before the report is actually published. The Department for Education has committed to working with Ofsted to review things during a consultation in the spring, which it is calling the Big Listen. Education unions praised Ofsted's positive steps, but said they were only the beginning. The weather has been front and centre of the news this week, with schools across parts of Wales and Scotland being forced to close due to snow. Icy conditions and weather warnings made for tricky travel and forced school closures in areas badly affected. For those concerned that the post-pandemic impact of remote learning would mean the end of snow days, pictures on social media and local news proved that this was not always the case. But anyone worried that the icy blasts will last can be assured that the weather is set to return to normal over the next few days. Authors, including Sir Michael Morpogo and Mallory Blackman, have written an open letter urging the government to invest in early years reading. According to a book trust survey, only half of children between one and two from low-income families are read to daily, with some families struggling to access books and being in need of support. The letter from authors is addressed to both Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer and says it is not right that children from poorer backgrounds are deprived of a life rich in reading. Sir Michael Mopogo is president of the Charity Book Trust and helped launch their new campaign Get Reading to support disadvantaged children in family reading. He spoke on BBC's Radio 4's Today programme saying that the younger that children are introduced to the power of stories, the better chance there is of putting them on an extraordinary pathway of knowledge understanding and empathy. He also said that books need to be free at the point of delivery, like the health service. A DFE spokesperson said, we are committed to raising literacy for children, but Sir Michael said that these efforts are clearly not enough. Finally, The Guardian features an article which looks at research in America that appears to show that children learn better on paper than on screens. 
The research follows headlines across the pond, which focused on the nationwide collapse in reading scores among American youths, citing a four-point drop in the comprehension skills of 13-year-olds, falling below skill levels of 1971 for the worst-performing students. Politicians appear to be assigning blame to the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns, with remote learning being labelled as bad for students by the Biden administration. Others blame teachers who they say lobbied for lockdowns. However, the article itself focuses on a new study by neuroscientists at Columbia University's Teachers College, which appears to show there is a clear advantage to reading a text on paper rather than on a screen, because it leads to what they describe as deeper reading. A sample of 59 children aged 10 to 12 were asked to complete a series of tasks which led researchers to conclude that we should not yet throw away printed books and shouldn't rely on the digital revolution just yet. Further details can be read on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome in particular to Talia, my special guest. Talia, how are you today? Hi, fine, thank you. You? Very well, very well, thank you. I'm glad uh, we could do this. Um, Thank you very much. So, um, Talia, what have you been up to today? Have you done anything exciting or interesting so far? Well, uh, Graham, I'm actually uh, uh, finishing my seminar, my PhD seminar on artificial intelligence. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that. Fabulous. Um, tell, Tell me a little bit more about uh, about your seminar what were you focusing on in particular uh debunking the uh, preconceptions that people may have in regards to intel- artificial intelligence uh sometimes these are informed because of um all these uh amazing hollywood movies right yeah. but uh, they sell the perception that artificial intelligence is here to um kill people destroy humankind and uh, they go to the extent into um, uh, changing the perception of uh, the workforce. Uh, In my perception, uh, in my view, I believe this is um, what people may have felt uh, back in the Industrial Revolution. Yes, yes, there's a lot of scare stories about uh, AI Mm -hmm. at the moment, but I think Partly the blame for that is the the TV and press. They seem to uh, be yeah, jumping definitely. upon this as something uh, that we should all be very wary of uh, and that could lead to, for example, the replacement by AI um, of people's jobs, etc. What what, do you, what is your take on that? Do you think that's something that we should be wary of or should be careful about? We should be careful about it in regards to our professional development. Um uh, focusing a little bit more on education, let's uh, let's uh, pinpoint that. Um, I believe that we as teachers and educators and trainers and even the administrative uh, side of education should consider that AI is going to be nothing more than another tool that mm-hmm. we would have um, at our disposal just to make ourselves and our decision-making more effective and more efficient but not to believe that AI is going to take over our jobs because that's not true. Research uh, has proven that we need this human connection and that we 
need to foster these um, interactions because socially speaking, we are social human beings and a computer will emulate certain words or tokens, as we call them in, in IA, but it will never substitute a teacher, not even a book, according to the news. Right. Uh, so you have very uh, clear ideas upon this then. How do you think AI will be incorporated into education? Um, how is it being incorporated in education in, in your experience? We are actually focusing on the ethics behind the use of inter uh, artificial intelligence, but we are way behind uh, in incorporating into um, not only the curriculum uh, and our administrative tasks, but it's also creating a very big gap, and that is the focus of my dissertation, is creating a, back, a, a gap between those who are more familiar, uh, are more adventurous into trying these generative AI uh, propositions, and those who are afraid, are scared, or they feel overwhelmed because of the amount of information that is coming through uh, all these um, organizations, even ONGs, right? Uh, we just, uh, I've just finished reading the UNESCO's paper on the ethics behind generative AI, but it's just exploratory. It's not something that will help you to implement or is not giving you or providing a framework on how teachers can actually make the most of artificial intelligence with ethical boundaries, of course, but to make them aware that uh, we can produce, for example, lesson plans. We can condition this uh, chat GPT, for example, we have many more right now, but that's the most popular one, let's say. Um, you can create a prompt in which, and your own GPT, because I do have my own, for example, I, I, I played a little bit uh, around the idea and I created these um, GPT for teachers in which I condition uh, PBL, because it's something very, very, um, let's say, it's in, in trend here in Mexico. I don't know in the rest mm. of the world, uh, but in particular in Mexico City, in Latin America, uh, problem-based learning, it's uh, one of the most um, desire, it's a desirable methodology to, to foster this inter- and transdisciplinary, um, let's say, learning focus. Right. Could you take us through a little bit about how you use the uh, chat GPT or the GPT um, to help you with problem-based learning? Yes, of course. Um, every school will have a vision and mission, right? And mm -hmm. they will give you some parameters on how they perceive uh, according to their cultural context and their um, offer. Uh, how PBL should be implemented. So they will give you some guidelines. So the first thing I do is I incorporate the international guidelines for PBL with all the stages. And then I say, I prompt it out saying, okay, so this particular school, which is private or public, is asking me to produce these that you have already analyzed globally, but with under this vision. And so GPT, at the end, you can also always say, ask me as many questions as you need so you can fully help me produce lesson plans for how many days or how many projects or as you are required or uh, to deliver the annual plan. 
So ChatGPT or your GPT will be conditioned. If you create your own GPT, it's easier because it's yours. So it's, it's asking you personal questions. So not only are you incorporating the context and the vision of the school, you're also incorporating things that are uh, the framework, let's say, things that will be the same and should be the same to address quality and delivery. But then further down the line, you can even add it this um, group profile, depending on the group which you are, because you divide it into different conversations. So you can create one conversation per group you have, and then you insert the group profile. The same. If you don't know how to uh, how to produce a group profile, you can always ask the GPT. Say, ask as many questions as you need to create a group profile for this class. No, so then uh, it can produce a service uh, or simple yes no questions that you might you yourself through observation can answer. And there's it, you click enter and there you go. You have your lesson plan. Fantastic, that sounds uh, really interesting. And um, Talia, do you think, uh, sorry, was, uh, was your interest in artificial intelligence in particular generative uh, artificial intelligence sparked only recently, or has it been something that you've been interested in for a long time? Um, well, I work in consultancy. So mm -hmm. I work with um, different uh, schools throughout Mexico and also Latin America, Colombia, Peru, Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And um, I have found, and Argentina as well, and I have found uh, that teachers feel overwhelmed because of the amount of administrative tasks mm -hmm. they have to produce, they have to deliver. So um, what I have observed, because I'm a teacher trainer, is that they get so tired that they cannot uh, produce the class that they would want to implement. Mm -hmm. They get so tired that they, uh, they rely on routine and they end up teaching the same class every year and that's um that's sad and it preoccupies especially because now we need to address not only differentiation in the class but also inclusion and equity so at what point are we helping or assisting teachers to feel less overwhelmed so they have enough time to create a, and imagine the perfect class that they would and and also feel motivated to implement it so when i started observing that i started creating different products that would uh, free a little bit more of the time the teacher would have uh, in the afternoon assigned for um evaluating um assignments checking or uh, assigning homeworks and all these things and annual planning, monthly planning, daily planning, and every single thing that the school requires of them because the Ministry of Education uh, in Latin America um, asks too many, too many things from teachers that mm -hmm. have no impact whatsoever in the class and the implementation of the class. So it, it pollutes this uh, these, um, environment this teaching environment and this experience in the learning. So that's when I started noticing uh, that in, uh, artificial intelligence would help them. Right. So okay. that's what I'm doing. So you see um, generative AI as being principally a way of being able to reduce the amount of administrative tasks teachers do and that they can make use of it to 
to help them with planning um, their classes. Is that right? Yeah. What I, I um, what I normally do with uh, with the teachers and lectures and trainings that I uh, that I give is to make sure they understand that it's not a way to reduce time so you do other things. It's just a readministration of how you use your time because your time as a teacher creating a class that addresses the profile of your students that makes you happy and makes them happy is much more important than delivering a doc a word document in which you say step by step what it is that you're going to do because um you can plan the perfect class but in the end when you go and deliver it it really depends on the mood of the students the mood of the day the day of even the schedule in which you are um you are uh, delivering the class right so it's just a redistribution of the administrative task just to make the most out of the technology that we have at hand. Right, of course, yeah. Um, what about the students? Have you noticed that students are using this technology um, when it comes to submitting assignments or uh, other things? And is that a problem you think that uh, teachers need to think about and deal with? Uh, think about it this way. Um, if it is a teenager, no, which are the mm. most the, the ones that most commonly use this uh, this inter, this uh, ChatGPT. Um, if you go into a classroom and you say you're going to create your own GPT, and your objective is to understand this, let's say mathematics. So I'll give you a problem, solve the problem and ask GPT to give you four different problems in regards of uh, this topic that we have today. And then when you finish, you're going to ask GPT to give you another one without explanation, and then you're going to solve it with it. So you see, it's just a perception in which you use in, uh, artificial intelligence, because when we started as teachers uh, rejecting the use of the chat GPT, what happened is that teenagers started using it to produce the homeworks because they didn't see the purpose of the homework. They were not interested in the class. They were not engaged. They just wanted to deliver the homework to get the 10 because that was the only thing that was asked of them. So there was no shared responsibility on the importance of um, learning. The learning process disappeared. It just turned out a series of tasks and assignments that I need to deliver through my Google Classroom to get a grade and accredit the subject. But if you implemented it, I started noticing these differences when uh, when I started having different uh, focus groups across Latin America. Uh, those who were implementing it as part of teaching students how to ethically use it with their subjects and contrary to those who were so scared of it and they didn't want it because they considered it cheating um, instead of seeing that it's um, is just how your brain works, but this brain works faster. It's just that, but you are conditioning depending on what you ask of it. It depends what it gives you back and it's not always going to be accurate. So the next thing is you need to improve the digital literacy of your students and the inquiry skills of your students, because that's their future. It's not only their future, it's their present. It's already your past. But you see the differences. I don't know how you have um, how you have seen these across the globe, but in Latin America, that's what they are overusing it for the wrong reasons and in the wrong ways. But because teachers are giving that example, 
Yes, no, very true. And um, with your own students, have you been able to detect that you're they're using AI uh, when it comes to assessments, etc.? Or is that something you actually encourage them to do? I give them uh, different types of evaluation. I encourage both. I encourage uh, like a pre-task, so they would have a rehearsal when they where they use artificial intelligence to improve their own intelligence and to make them spot things that probably they were uh, uncertain about or that they need reinforcement on. And then, because that is individual uh, assessment, and then I have personalized assessment, which is different. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, they are able to express the best version of the or, or the best idea they could ever have. And they feel more encouraged, more empowered, and more in control of their own knowledge and their learning path. Great. And um, could you give us an example of the kind of assessment that you would set students that would make ask them to make use of this generative AI? Yes, of course. Um, especially when we're talking about, um, well, you could see flip classroom gamification and also uh, PBL, but the one that is already on trend right now because of the Ministry of Education and the reforms in education that uh, have been happening in the past four years here in Mexico. So PBL is one is the one at the top, right? So when we're using PBL, uh, in the third stage of PBL, where I'm asking to create, that's when I where I focus all the development of the uh, of digital literacy. And I always the rubric is always informing not the product or the content of the product, but the process in which you produce the product and which tool, which generative AI tool was used and with to what purpose and to what extent and how this helped you improved. And if you could do it again, what would you change? So I always give them, depending on the stage, I, um, I direct them towards individual feedback, personalized feedback, team feedback, but it really depends on the focus of the stage. You know? So in my case, I use the third stage, the creation stage for them to um, to evaluate these and use them because I may know some generative AI apps, but have you seen how they have grown in the last week? So of course, the ones that I know will not be the same as the ones they know. So in mm. this process and by doing these and creating this collaborative work, we get to find the best depending on what it is that we are producing. Because the product is not the important aspect of PBL. It's just evidence that something happened. But whether you finish it or not, it really depends on which stage was the last one that you were able to accomplish. So what we do is at the end of each stage, we have a roundup in which you say, I use this, and this helped me like this and in this way. And I give them different parameters of improvement. So when they have these peer evaluation, this peer feedback, they are able to compare and contrast the different apps that they are using. And I encourage them not to use the same uh, every time because the speed in which we uh, uh, startups are producing different uh, generative AI apps is, uh, is overwhelming, even for a person who practices yoga. <laughs> yes, no, it's it's incredible the amount of uh, progress that has been made just on a monthly basis, probably on a weekly basis, and uh, mm -hmm. just trying to keep up with it is, is is really difficult. What 
apart from ChatGPT, which you've mentioned is something that you definitely use, what about the other generative AI tools that you've come across or that you've seen students use that you think are particularly interesting? There is one that is very good, that is sci-fi. And this, what it does is that you, uh, you ask, to, um, for example, if you are researching about a topic, you can ask, give me the five most recent uh, papers on this topic and uh, deploy them, right? So you click send um, and it gives you like a table with the links to every, to every paper. You click on the hypertext and it takes you to co-pilot with Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And on the right, you have some questions like, are you interested in knowing what method was used to produce this paper? So it narrows it down so you don't have to read a 120 page paper to find the one that you are actually looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's not giving you the homework, it's just speeding the process of what it is that you are doing so you don't digress. And right now, Bart is also making a jump. And the one that I enjoy the most, I have to say, is Mid Journey to produce images. I love it. Yes, me too. I go I... to Discord. I'm, I, I'm a Discord fan of Mid Journey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, I love Mid Journey as well. I find it uh, fascinating. And uh, the first one you mentioned, Sci Fi, could you uh, tell us, me... was that the name? Could you tell us okay, the, give me a second? The let, let me just confirm that because I just started playing with it, being the keyword playing, right? Yeah, of course. Because of <laughs> course, if you search on sci-fi, then you'll find all sorts of things. But yeah. that tool, I think. Just give me a second. It's sci space. Sorry, sci space. S C I S P A C E. Ah, sci space. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Right. It's just Got I started it. playing with it today and it was amazing. It's particularly um, interesting uh, uh, related to um, research. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So you can do research in minutes, um, especially in the first stage of, uh, in the second stage of PBL, where they have to develop these inquiry skills. Yeah being able to find apps such as these that will help you speed the time in which you are finding the the information that you're looking for mm-hmm. by no means I, i'm trying uh, i'm not saying that you shouldn't uh do free research let's say mm-hmm. but some because that's where learning and inquiry skills actually are empowered but once that you already know what it is that you are aiming at and that you actually need to produce what you want to produce or what or get what you need to get it's always good to have some some help of course so i mean using these tools to assist you to make your job easier uh, to help you um do something that is quite time consuming or difficult to do um, otherwise, I think is is key, isn't it? It's not using these tools to replace the activity that humans would do or students would do or teachers would do. It's just using them to assist in the job. That's where it becomes One thing is to be the consumer and another is to be the producer. 
Yeah. So what about Mid Journey then? You mentioned Mid Journey being one of your favorite tools, which it, it's one of mine as well. I, I find it fascinating just the kind of things that it can produce. Um, how do you use it? Or is it just for fun? No, no, no. I started using I, I always, um, because of my academic background, which mm. you kindly mentioned at the beginning, um, I love I love playing with new apps and, and new platforms. And because of what I do with UNESCO, that is evaluating different programs, books, and so on, um, that's who I am. I analyze, I, I, I discover, I'm very, very curious. So I started working with Mid Journey because it was the first one. It was like a competition between Dali and Mid Journey, right? Yeah. So I started noticing how people would be working with it. No. So I joined Discord, um, Mid Journey Discord, because also I have a lot of content on Discord, right? So I started observing this magnificent and very well interpreted uh, images. Yeah. And soon I started because I am a little bit older than people may imagine. <laughs> mm -hmm. I started downloading the images onto PowerPoints because yeah. I didn't want to miss them because I said like, oh, I could use these to produce these or I could use these to convey this meaning, right? So notice yeah. how I started evaluating. I started being from uh, what we call in Cambridge, right? You have A1 level, A2 level, no? So I was A2 level in mid-journey and then I started becoming B1 level and then I started experimenting with, with the language, right? With the prompts, like what would be produced if I said, uh, if I use one adjective or if I use two adjectives or if I were more descriptive or I have no idea what it is that 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 an image would see uh, when talking about this topic. Right. And make yeah. and let me journey show me options. Right. So right. then I started improving. Then I became a C1. From B2 and C1, I jumped really, really fast. So I started using Mid Journey to produce the images that yeah. I would later use in the lectures to spark conversations, yeah. engage students. Yeah. And then, and then, only then, when I got into a C1 level, C2 level of uh, digital literacy on Mid Journey, I started training my students and my teachers on how to produce a prompt on mid journey so they would improve their yeah. design thinking and their their design sorry and thinking what else could they imagine based on what mid journey would throw at them yeah i think it's fascinating this idea that you can produce art and photographs mm -hmm. from prompts from written inputs is uh, is wonderful and as a in language teaching and learning i think it's a really interesting thing to explore for example you can give an image to a student and you could ask them to try and replicate that image using a tool such as midjourney or dali uh, as much as possible and then you they can compare the results and then you can share the original prompt that you used i think that's a kind of really interesting type of activity that you can use in long in language learning and teaching that can be um uh very useful to exploring uh what you add to the prompt what you take away from the prompt how you mm -hmm. put it to get results 
Mm-hmm. And it helps with the economy of the language, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It suddenly becomes something that anyone like myself, who has never been particularly good at painting or drawing, um, suddenly I can use words to produce fantastic results, uh, pictures, etc., which I think is, is a very powerful thing to be able to do. Yeah. It gives you freedom, freedom of believing in yourself. It's telling you it's okay. You don't know how to draw because it's the same. Uh, it's it's the same for me. That I, I believe that's why I love my journey because it shows me the this interpretative side of me that I w- couldn't pro- convey if I were asked to do it on my own. Yes. And what is it that you like about Mid Journey that that you prefer? Why do you prefer Mid Journey to Dali? It's more accurate. Text to image is much more accurate. Right. So one of the things I really like about Mid Journey Mm -hmm. is that because it's in Discord and you can see Mm -hmm. in real time people's prompts being turned into images. So it's actually a great learning tool because you can actually look and see what people have asked Mid Journey to produce and then how they um, revise and refine the prompts to get different outputs and you can see what they look like, which I find is fascinating. It, it's a really good yeah. learning tool if you want to know about uh, prompt engineering. Uh, I believe it gives you like, uh, it's like having a pick on um, this collective unconsciousness. Now, what is it that people are looking for? What is it that it's been, on, what it's on trend? Uh, how do people perceive this is happening, right? You start noticing these trends because you even have channels, right, in mid-journey in yeah. Discord. And, of course, I, I want to ask you, for people like you and me, we're obviously very excited and enthusiastic <laughs> about all of these tools and the potential for education and for other things, uh, aspects of life to to use them. But how do you feel about those people who have taken a stance very much against them, in particular, writers and artists who think that uh, they feel very threatened by them or they're not happy about that maybe these tools have been trained on work that um, human artists and writers Mm -hmm. have have produced. How do you feel about that? First of all, we need to understand each other. So we we have to reduce the the confrontation towards uh, different points of view and perspectives, and we need to see it from their perspective. Uh, And that is what the qualitative aspect of my dissertation, actually. Uh, Why is it that people feel the way they feel, especially in regards to um, even community managers now with, uh, um, or um, business managers, everyone feels threatened by, by these tools. And I do understand that there is a process because I am, um, I have that a tremendous respect for arts and for the arts, all of them, right? So I do understand that uh, for them to be able to create, there's a process and it's a very difficult process for them because they have so many ideas, they have so many resources, and for them it's very, very, very difficult to produce just one piece. And then they invest their their soul into the piece they produce, hoping, uh, or in the hopes, that people will see through their eyes the interpretation of some reality, right? 
So there is value in producing something. But what about if we consider that this type of technology will help you um, think of things or conceive things in a new, under a new light? Sometimes we need to be open to understand that the world evolves and technology evolves and artificial intelligence and since the 50s is not something new. It's from last century. It's just that right now it's very popular. But it has been around us since half a century, for half a century. So I have the utmost respect for them, but I would... Um, I would let you know how it goes in the dissertation when I start asking them um, and facing them with the possibility of playing with mid-journey, for example, in the case of artists, or playing with a GPT, or in the case of uh, teachers, or creating their own GPT in uh, students, how they perceive it. I've seen that there's a difference, and, and normally it has to do with an age gap. Those who are not born with technology, um, have a different perception, most of them, I don't want to generalize, uh, but most of them have a, a, a misconception about what actually artificial intelligence is. It's just a group of codes that you send to work. That's it, it's just an assistant. So um, I would say that um, artificial intelligence is a neural pathway. It's just helping you create synaptic connections faster it's just that it's not substituting your job is because someone has to code it someone has to prompt it someone has to tell them think this way who do you think that person's going to be so it's going to be the artist it's going to be the designer they just need to see that what they're doing is evolving through a different perspective i give them this example of willy wonka right mm -hmm. and uh, and i always tell them the father lost his job because, because a machine came in. And in the end, he was the one controlling the machine. So he didn't actually lose the job. The job evolved mm -hmm. based on the needs of the world. This is what we need because we are going into a tremendous gap of underpopulation. So we will need to convey and make peace with the fact that we need to be faster in getting things done because we don't have enough people to do them all together and it's just that just a different perspective so but again it has to do with this how we started these misconceptions of what it is and what it is not yes uh, i tend to agree with you i think and um, it's interesting that I've seen how, as you've suggested, that there are artists and writers who have embraced this. Um, mm -hmm. I know, for example, of a book cover designer. So a graphic designer whose living is made from creating um, book covers. And um, in theory, he should have been very threatened by the emergence of this type of tool because it will allow... Uh, writers to create their own book covers, images for their book covers themselves. Mm -hmm. But instead of that, he has actually thrown himself into it and learned how to use these tools very, very well to um, to produce book covers. So he now offers writers the um, the 
option of having him design a book cover without AI or with AI. And um, he has written articles about how he uses it, etc. He's been very generous sharing um, what he does uh, and his journey and understanding how best to create the prompts. And you can see that the benefit of actually using him for a service such as a book cover is uh, so obvious through his uh, sharing uh, of all of this information because he brings with him uh, not only uh, the ability to um, to use these tools in a way that perhaps other people haven't had the time to to develop uh, their own use of them, but also his background and experience and knowledge about um, design um, principles that people who don't have that background would uh, benefit from. So I think he's a great example of someone who's actually really embraced this technology to make his job and what he's able to offer uh, writers in this case uh, from the service uh, much, much easier, much better. And he's been able to uh, do things in that way, which I think is really admirable. Yeah, definitely, because he's the one who has the words that need to be addressed and he has the vision and he's the only one who's able to convey what that book cover should look like. So it's not someone doing their job, his job is, is he prompting every tool as important as a pencil, as important and relevant as a color crayon, as a typewriter. We're yeah. just coding it. Yeah, and I think that is the kind of approach i think that people it's a healthy way excuse me <coughs> it's a healthy way of approaching the emergence of these tools to be able to look at them and try to understand them as much as can, they can and how they can be used and, and also look um at the things that they're not doing well because for example mid-journey if you ask for certain uh, things, they will produce very stereotypical images and that draws uh, attention to the flaws. So there, there is this bias in a lot of these tools that will come out. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Talia, but someone actually put into mid-journey um, a series of prompts that asked for typical scenes of a particular country. Um, they came out with very stereotypical images that yeah. uh, were probably, well, definitely not reflective of the reality in those countries and stuff. But I think that's quite interesting because it uh, it draws attention to things that these tools can't do well they have flaws and the flaws are, um, you know, because of the bias of the material they've been trained on, etc. But I think the only way we can move ahead and try to solve that is by casting, casting a light on, on what the problem is and then trying to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I tried, uh, a couple of months ago, um, uh, to ask because uh, we also produce um, one of the products that we do at Experta is um, we produce the first uh, preschool evaluation to certify English. Mm -hmm. 
um, but it has to do more with cognitive development is another topic. But um, I asked Midjourney to produce because I was doing the handbook for teachers, right? So I mm -hmm. needed an image that convey the importance of a certification culture at preschool level, right? So I said, uh, I prompted with a Mexican preschooler. Oh no, you should have seen what came out. Oh, really? like the biggest sombrero you can have, you can even imagine. <laughs> so there was a mariachi behind the guy. So it was a preschooler with, you know, like we don't, we, we don't use that. <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 it is biased, of course, but, uh, but the same happened to me the first time I went to Spain. No, so the first one, the first time I went to Spain, yeah. uh, it was really fun because people wouldn't believe that I was from Mexico because I don't look Mexican according to them. No, well, I didn't. So yeah. the st stereotypes are everywhere. But when you shed light on it, on them, people have conversations that need to be addressed. So uh, what I did is because you have this thumbs up, thumbs down button. So mm -hmm. what I did was thumbs down. They ask why, like stereotypical Mexicans don't look like that. We don't wear a sombrero every day. We don't have the Mexican flag hanging uh, next to a whiteboard. No. So, so I gave them the feedback. Yeah. And they incorporate it because we don't need, we need to understand what you were saying, that these technologies are emergent technologies and they mm -hmm. have this underpinned belief that they learn through error. So mm -hmm. they will get the data and they will interpret the data. If we start inserting data that has to do with debunking stereotypes, then eventually it will come out like that. It will self-reflect, let's say self-correct. But if we don't do it, and if we don't try it, and then we just prejudge everything that happens because it's technology, because people yeah. are afraid or a person who's next to us is really afraid of using it, that, well, we're just going to be left behind. Yeah. It's a bit, in a way, it's a bit like how people learn as well. People have these ideas based on their input from media, from television, yeah. film, etc. Um, uh, the news about what a country is like, what, what the expectations are but then when you actually travel to the to places you get a much different idea more nuanced mm -hmm. idea of of what the place is actually like i give an example uh, me being in mexico now for uh, over five years when i before i came to visit mm -hmm. and then to live in mexico i had this idea about what mexican food was like based on mexican food outside of mexico and the Mexican yeah. food outside of Mexico is very, very different to the Mexican food that is actually uh, served uh, that you find in Mexico. The variety is in incredible. Um, I think mostly the Mexican food you find outside of Mexico is what um, people would, I would call Tex-Mex basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You made me remember it. Taco Bell. Um, Taco Bell. Was, oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. I remember that I was feeling homesick. No, uh, I was in Europe and I felt homesick. So I started looking for a Mexican type of restaurant, right? Because I wanted a, a, a soup, literally yeah. a tortilla soup. That's yeah. what I wanted. No, so yeah. I went into in, in, into a restaurant that said Mexico, and everything was very Oaxaca-like, right? right? So I said, like, okay, so they will have at least tortillas. 
No, they didn't. Because <laughs> their perception and interpretation of Mexican food was totally different from what actually it is. And it, the same happened to me when um, when going to France and asking for scrambled eggs. Their perception of scrambled eggs is different from Mexican perception of scrambled eggs. So yeah. we need to reduce the tolerance towards confrontation, you know, this cultural confrontation that will inherently happen. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah it does happen. <laughs> Definitely. Now, I think on the on the plus side, I think what you do find happen with things like gastronomy and cuisine is this idea of people who come from a particular country and who take their food with them when they move to that country usually if they live and then they change it according to the to suit the taste of that particular uh, country and then you can get this kind of fusion that happens mm -hmm. which is really interesting which if, if we um, use this uh, this process, this learning process, is yeah. pretty much the same as artificial intelligence. It's exactly the same as happening. Uh, there are no geographic uh, boundaries; are only geographical now. Yeah, we go into a Discord, and you may be speaking to someone, even if it is in English, because that's a common language, right? So that's yeah. the lingua franca. But uh, but you could be speaking to someone who lives in Japan, or you could be speaking to someone who is in Canada. And just I, I just see my daughter. My daughter is 14 and her best friend mm -hmm. is from Belgium. Right. And they use English to communicate. Poorly, yes. I have to say, but they do it. <laughs> but, but that's how they'll, you know, that will get better uh, through practice, clearly. Yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting. I think one of the exciting things that I've seen with these generative AI tools is this ability now that they can produce, they can understand oral input. So when you can speak to them yeah. uh, in ChatGPT in particular, and then you can get mm -hmm. ChatGPT to speak to you. So you can use it as a conversation partner now. Yeah. yeah it even helps you. Um, it has, um, there's a study, um, some uh, psychologists are using it to check if they could code it and create a GPT to help people with depression, anxiety, mm. and even suicidal thoughts, they yeah. will not substitute uh, the, the psychologist, but it will provide emergent care. Yeah, which in some yeah. cases can divide. Uh, it's literally death or or life. Yeah. That can go wrong though, because there is a yeah. there is an AI tool for the mobile phone that bef oh, yeah. I, I try I remember trying it out um, yeah. years ago before the last year's kind of explosion in generative AI that it was meant to be a kind of um, your someone you could talk to. It was only through text chat, but. Mm -hmm. um, people were using it for all, you know, for company, basically people who were lonely could, could talk to it and people who had a need to kind of tell people how they felt they could use this. And there was the, 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 the chatbot was supposed to be sympathetic. I don't know how true it is, but I did see recently an article that someone had used this and it had persuaded them to go out and do damage to someone. Yeah. So I think that's part of the problem, though, is that those are the stories mm -hmm. that get reported rather than the uh, the stories about all of the usual use of these AI tools that are mm -hmm. generally beneficial. Yeah. 
yeah so they are in the process of producing it right so yeah again but you do have a lot of options now for different things so yeah. let's integrate them that would be my uh my invitation integrate play around see how it works uh youtube videos there are a ton of million million of, of videos that would assist you into the first steps into ai if you want no yeah and one of the things i think is really interesting as far as education is concerned apart from this kind of language partner that uh for learning languages you could engage with this generative ai tool to become a conversation partner to help you practice mm -hmm. um which is quite interesting is this idea of differentiation and so these tools can very much help or will end up being able to be employed by teachers to be able to give very specific um, practice in the case of language education to students mm -hmm. that otherwise the, the teacher cannot uh, do that to such a degree because they just don't have enough time with large classes, etc. Yeah, uh, there's another one actually that could be used instead of ChatGPT in case someone mm -hmm. listening would like to try a new one. It's called Alpaca. Alpaca? Yeah, it's from Stanford University. All right. But the objective of it is to debunk false information and okay. its focus is on social stereotypes and toxic language. It removes them. Ah, very interesting. That's really good. I like that. I'll have to um I'll have to have a look at that. And I was listening to recently to an interview with a, a science fiction author called Hugh Howey. I don't know if you've come across him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was talking about um, in these AI tools and and novels, etc. And he was saying, well, he, d he thinks in at some point in the future uh, there won't be a need for novelists because these AI tools will be able to produce um, fiction for readers um, if people are still reading by then um, <laughs> to such an extent that they'll be able to you'll be able to put an input in and the ai tool will be able to produce something very specific for you so he gave an example i'm i'm going to just make it up my own example but his example was was similar was you, you could say all right can i have um um I, i've got six hours of reading i want to do or you could listen to it and can you make a story about a um, a cowboy in space, um, where and whatever you want, and the AI would would create it on the go, and then he also said he would imagine that in the future, with smartwatches already doing this and monitoring um, heartbeat, pulse, etc the if you link that to the ai that is producing the fiction for you the ai will be able to know which type of passages in the book get you excited and get your heart rate pumping and uh mm -hmm. be able to adapt to that to actually adapt you know on an individual level to produce a really interesting story that is tailor-made for you that nobody else will will ever read or come across. I think it's it's okay. fascinating to think about that. I don't know how yeah. you would relate that to education, but I imagine 
you could have an AI differentiated tool that is monitoring someone's attention levels and would be able to change how the input is given to that person based on whether they're interested or bored or, uh, you know, registering their attention levels in the future, maybe. I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting to think about. I would say that it comes down to, are you going to be a data consumer mm. or a data producer? Okay. Mm. Think about it this way. You're a teacher. You're teaching how to write a novel. And so far, without this explosion of AI and, uh, and, and, and use in, in, in schools, right? Um, think about that. Um, you're the teacher, you're teaching how to write a novel. Mm -hmm. And you are used to it because you cannot prevent yourself from having these uh, preconception of how the class should be implemented because you were and you are the best example that this method worked because mm -hmm. here you are teaching it, right? So what you're doing is you are facilitating and guiding the strategy in which you believe, strongly believe, is the best way to address the topic on how to write a novel. But the world is not the same. And that student that you have right now is not the same and is not surrounded and does not have the same stimuli and the same type of life and the same type of problem that you used to have when you were that age. Yeah. So think about this. Okay, so what the GPTs and intelligences in, in general generative or any, any, any that you that you can think of, and that will come um, in the near future. Um, the only thing that they will do is they will take something that exists already mm -hmm. and recreate using different words, different titles, uh, different characters, but the plot will be the same because it's not going to be able to create something new because they cannot create something new. They have these neurological pathways, like the, like the ones that we have in our brain. They have their neural pathways the same way, right? So they cannot create something that is not already there. They're just interconnecting it. What is forcing this new generation of learners is to produce something new. So hmm. what the teacher should be focusing right now is instead of teaching how to write a novel, is create a comparative table of the novels on how they are produced. Let's say you ask the GPT to produce a three hour reading on a topic and it will, uh, let's say, feed itself from your engagement levels. And then you cross-reference everything for you to produce a new idea, something new, something that people may not have thought of. Because if this is already there, what is actually, what are you actually doing? Are you actually learning or are you mechanizing the learning process to reproduce something again with the different names, but the same structure? So there's nothing new. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. 
visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. And um, Talia, we, we jumped straight into AI, but I know that you have other interests. And the other thing I normally do with my guests is ex- explore a little bit about um, how they became involved in education with you what was it did you have family members who were teachers or was it something that uh, happened when you were at school what what was it that got you interested in becoming an educator wow that's a good question um and a very straightforward answer um mm-hmm. i am from a state in mexico mm-hmm. uh, that is called sinaloa Mm-hmm. And I'm from a city that is called Culiacán, right? Mm-hmm. Though I live in Mexico City right now, and I've been living here for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, but uh, we are very straightforward people. And mm-hmm. um, I remember when I came to Mexico, my first class, the teacher made fun of my accent because the northern accent is different from the mm-hmm. south and the center of Mexico mm-hmm. City. Uh, so um, she made fun of my accent. Everybody laughed. And I got so upset that my first impression with a teacher in Mexico was sad, mm-hmm. literally, uh, because of my level of English, um, which is not very strong, but I, I manage, right? So um, the teacher, instead of teaching me, sat me in the corner and gave me a book to read because I had a better level of English than my classmates. Mm-hmm. And then I started noticing that I became... Um, uh, let's say, not anxious about grades, mm-hmm. but I started noticing that my learning process changed mm-hmm. because the only thing that I was doing in, in, in high school was learning to give the homework to the teacher so I would get the grade and that would be in the end of... And then I would go out and leave. So I always tell my students, um, I became a teacher because I wanted to be a good teacher. Mm-hmm. I noticed how my life changed because my teachers were there for the salary, not really interested in writing, in procuring, in in saying, guess what, this is what you need. You want to go to a public university, you should study these topics that we are not covering in the program. No Mm. one, none of my teachers sat down with me to explain that. I found out when I actually wanted to enroll into university, the admission exam was horrible. Oh, really? I have good grades. And, and it's not that I am, and not to blow my own horn, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> so what I did is um, I came across a person that I love dearly, which is um, Pilar Aramayo. And she was my trainer. And she made me fall in love with teaching. 
one day she threw me into a classroom for um i believe it was uh six-year-olds seven-year-olds because yeah. the teacher was running late and she said you're going in you have a lot of uh, nephews and nieces right yeah you know how to handle children yes so she threw me into a classroom not understanding what i was doing i did a pretty good job so she said you should take the teachers i started taking the teachers and long story short that was 1997. wow and, fantastic and I... every day i struggled to become the best version of a teacher that anyone can have because i know how damaging can a bad or an unethical teacher be right are you still in touch with pilar sometimes because she doesn't live in Mexico anymore. So yeah, I know I actually work with Pilar at the moment. Oh, believe it or not. <laughs> send my regards, please. Send my regards. I will I do. I will do. Yeah, she um, she's head of English language teaching and education for the British Council in the UK now. Yeah, and, I noticed uh, she, she, she changed from Southampton. I when I noticed that she when she jumped from uh, from the Philippines to Southampton, I was like, oh, my God, woman. You need to conquer the yeah. world. That's what she wants. <laughs> so it's a it's a small world, Dahlia. It's funny you mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> um, her, it's funny her her name came up yesterday. I was at an event uh, with a lot of English language teachers in Mexico um, yesterday, mm -hmm. and uh, they were talking about her and her mother as well. Actually, oh, yeah. uh, it's quite funny that. So it's funny that you mentioned her today on the show. I have no idea <laughs> you, that you knew her. She's becoming famous, more famous than she could <laughs> imagine. Let she's alone like, such a role model for you. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, you said that when you went to school, your English was already good. Um, how did it get good? If you were, you know, we, how were you exposed to language? If 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 you weren't, I'm presuming that your um, description of that class where the teacher made fun of your accent, etc. But then your English is already good. So how how do you think you got good at English? Um, was it when you were living in Sinaloa or? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I'm, I'm an only child, right? And I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. So of course I'm in love with my dad. Mm -hmm. So, but my dad loves watching TV, which is not something that I'm very fond of, right? Yeah. But I said, if I want to spend time with my dad, I need to stay awake. And all the movies my father would watch were in English. So I started forcing myself into learning English because I didn't want to fall asleep because when I woke up, my father wouldn't be there. No, right. So he would have gone back to work. So I started learning this English and then um, we started traveling to the United States because we are so close to the border. So it's very common that we go to the States to buy, uh, to go to Disneyland, to go um, to water parks and so I started immersing myself in the language and understanding how it worked. Very Chomsky. <laughs> but uh, I started understanding how it worked. But it was, it was let's say, a B1, B2 level when I got into first grade secondary school. Right. And uh, I started reading in English. But I started what I, I believe was uh, something that pushed me from being fam uh, to understand familiar words from understanding familiar words to unfamiliar scenarios mm -hmm. was transcribing the lyrics to the songs I liked. 
<laughs> because I didn't have the cancionero. We didn't have the book that comes with the lyrics, right? The right. LPs wouldn't come with the lyrics. The later on, the cassettes wouldn't come with the lyrics. Some of them would, but if they yeah. were singles, they wouldn't, right? Yeah. So I started transcribing. So my listening becomes stronger. And when my listening became stronger, I was able to decode English faster. Right. And then I started teaching. Interesting. When I started teaching, oof, amazing skyrocketed wow yeah i remember um when i started teaching english um in spain mm -hmm. the uh director of studies at the school where i was working um his english was was such that he had a kind of a london accent and Ooh. it was very difficult to determine where he was from but it mm -hmm. sounded like he was actually from uh, a part of London. And sure enough, it wasn't that he was from there. He was from that place in, uh, in Spain where I, was, uh, where I was working. And I was asking, you know, how did you develop this peculiar accent? Because it sounds like a kind of regional london accent was it a teacher that you had and you picked up their accent because i have found that is the case in some with some other students yeah. as well and he said no no i learned my uh most of my english i learned from transcribing and singing to punk songs <laughs> <laughs> when he was a teenager he just fell in love with uh with lots of british punk bands and ended up uh, emulating their accents and transcribing everything. And, and that's how we learn English. It's fascinating. Yeah, you could listen to my English. It has different accents, different tones. You have no idea where I learned English when you listen to me because I, I, I absorb everything. Yeah. Because yeah. I like everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear that. And um, then did you move to Mexico City and then become a teacher or were you a teacher yes. when you lived in okay no and I became a teacher here in Mexico City where did you first start teaching uh, I started at the language school where Pilar used to be the director of the right studies. okay she was my first boss right she molded me so any complaints wrong window <laughs> go to her <laughs> okay and then how did you end up you you're now working at the university is that right i am working at international house yeah i'm working in okay. three different companies because i'm a teacher right right so that's what we do yeah. <laughs> we work wherever we are employed <laughs> yeah of course so i teach adults i teach children i teach um train i basically train teachers yeah especially for the ministry of education you know yeah i've, I've yeah. always said that you should give back to your country mm -hmm. you shouldn't only go if you're working for the private um sector you should also work for the public sector of course because you need to reduce a gap between one another not to increase it yeah. so i work for the ministry of education and um so i train teachers across well i've trained teachers across the the country so mm -hmm. i have had um my first share of um, stories on how different it is teaching students in the north, in the south, or in the center of the country. Right? 
Right, of course. And which do you prefer? Do you prefer teaching adults, teaching children, or do you like the combination? I like the combination. It keeps me awake. Because sometimes yeah. when you only address one, um, one sector, uh, you cannot perceive so clearly the differences of how uh, different generations learn. Mm -hmm. So you start noticing trends and patterns when the younger you teach, but then you can test with the older generations how they would face that because the younger generation, the better prepared you are to know how to develop yourself professionally and mm -hmm. what will be required of you going back to these uh, this person uh, that used uh, artificial intelligence to create the book cover right mm -hmm. what he did is he became aware of what is happening and instead of struggling against he jumped on the wave and he has started learning how to communicate with this new technology or this new impulse and then become a more uh, let's say proficient person in his own area of expertise because now he is at his uh, he's able to guide and teach and share all this generation that has no idea what is happening and it feels overwhelmed and sad so he's reducing this anxiety mm -hmm. and, and, and it goes on and on right of so, course anyone i love teaching everyone i love teaching everything i'm a coach also so yeah yeah and so you're currently pursuing your doctorate in education sciences what do you think uh, the future holds for you what do you hope to do after you finish that or is it something that you think you're just doing for your own benefit or do you hope to be able to work professionally with that a lot more in the future I would like to be able to share some insight mm -hmm. that can reduce the gap between people who are very much into artificial intelligence and the majority, which um, has these misconceptions of what mm -hmm. it is and what it isn't. And the practical implications that I am trying uh, and I will be researching on for the next year because um, I'm still in the first chapter of the mm -hmm. thesis, but I have already done a lot of research and which is, believe me, a nightmare because the topic is changing every minute. So I have yes. finished reading my paper <laughs> when 20 more are there, right? But what I want is for teachers to have a model on how to implement yeah. so they create so they build up uh, their resume and their yeah. um let's say their own uh they have a better quality of life let's say and so they can also do it for their students that mm -hmm. is basically what i'm trying to do and if it helps with public policy okay again uh, you, uh, this is like a buffet. Take whatever you, whatever it works for you, and however it works for you. But, but to put to shed light on the importance of addressing something that is inevitably um, there for your students and there for you, and you need to 
start learning about it. Right. And what about UNESCO? How did you get involved in um, in helping with UNESCO with uh, evaluating materials, etc.? I started working um, because um, you have this idea, right, that you start noticing the people that want to do it mm-hmm. and you start observing uh, the qualifications behind what they do. So I met a friend, now is my friend, and I'm very, I, I love him dearly, which is el Dr. Alejandro Velasquez, mm-hmm. who he has been in charge and he was an amazing element in the public policies in my country in regards to uh, making sure that English was an important language to be taught in the, as a curricular subject. And uh, he invited me to work with him and do multiple things, uh, freelancing, of course. Hmm. And sooner we found ourselves with a daunting, and, and this was a team, okay? So I could name multiple people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raquel Bernabe is one of them, right? Uh, and we found ourselves feeling, um, let's say, facing 100, 120, I don't know, I don't know, Alejandro's going to, He's going to laugh at my face when he hears this, but uh, to my face. So um, we had a bunch of books from different editorial houses around the globe mm-hmm. who wanted to get the green light. So the Ministry of Education would allow them to sell their books to the public school. So that's a lot of money. We're talking about more than nine million mm-hmm. students. Because especially with English, it comes to the point, it's not a book. It's yeah. a the book, the activity book, the teacher's book, you know, the readers and the CD. But what we faced was the problem that we wanted or they wanted people who were not working for the Ministry of Education, that were not biased and that they had experience understanding how the national child behaves and what mm-hmm. the national child needs. One of the biggest issues I had, and that's what that's why UNESCO came into in, into play because they are an ONG, and yeah. so they started saying, "No, okay, so we're going to help the Ministry of Education, but we need these specifications, this type of people, this type of CV with this type of experience doing this." So they were very very careful in selecting. So I joined them. I sent my CV. And I said, okay, God bless it. Let's see what happens, right? And they called me back. They called me, well, they called me in. And I started working with them, evaluating material. I started evaluating material for the Ministry of Education through CREFAL, and which is the UNESCO for Latin America, very similar. And um, and the story, well, we, we've been working together for in different projects for the past 10 years. Fantastic. That's how I started there. I strongly suggest people to go into UNESCO, especially if you're a teacher, because mm. you have a lot of knowledge that you're definitely unaware and that your knowledge is very important for the UNESCO. So I would strongly uh, invite them to join. Mm. Uh, you can go to unesco.org and uh, create your own profile. And then you upload all your information and even a platform, okay? Because they, they, 
moved platforms uh, a, a year ago. So what it's going to do with artificial intelligence, by the way. So what it does is they open up vacancy and it and, and you'll get notified through mail, through your WhatsApp, whatever, uh, however mean you decided that you should be contacted. And uh, you just click on it and automatically submits your resume and everything that you are there because you have by that time you have already uploaded everything. So they have like um like a grid of who can do what. So you get different types of um let's say projects. Interesting. That's really, really good to hear. Um it sounds like a great thing that you're doing. So um Tally, we're we're getting towards the end of our hour and a half. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me. I've really enjoyed uh, hearing about all of the things you're doing and your um, information and ideas about AI in particular. It was very good. Thank you. Um, what does the future hold for you? Oh, uncertainty as anyone's future. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the more the more you are, the more you know, the less you know. The more you yeah. know, the less you know. So, um, the more you know, the less forward. you know, you know. Yeah, exactly. Is it, isn't it? Yeah, that's the key. That's a quote. Um, I would, I, I'm going to use it for my LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I just hope that I am of some use to help my country improve, to help the teachers feel uh, understood, heard. Uh, to improve the quality of life of everyone who's around me and i'm not here for the money everybody knows that if you're a teacher it's not for the money exactly it's yeah. just that we just want to improve the quality of life of everyone so i would like to be the teacher i didn't have That's till really the day good. i die excellent well thank you very much um i'm gonna say goodbye to everybody now and i'll just put in the uh, the outro in a minute so thanks a lot talia it's been great to connect with you and uh, i'll be seeing pilar in february i'm going to london and i'll be meeting her again then so i'll i'll mention that we we've talked together to her i'll send her a text as well <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> yeah 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 the, the the six person uh theory it's yeah it came down to two <laughs> exactly her name keeps coming up um i think that's uh it's obvious when me being in in mexico and involved in the english language teaching world she's made quite an impact uh here yeah. so it's not surprising really all right <laughs> thanks a lot Dalia. thank you and um um well i wish you all the best in all of your future ventures This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 
Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. And we're back. And thank you very much, everybody who joined us live. Thank you also to those of you listening back to the recording. Um, my name is Graham Stanley. This is the Saturday Twilight Show. My guest today was... Uh, Talia Montano Andrade. We ended up talking about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, it was fascinating to hear about what Talia is doing and all of the ideas that she's had about how AI can be used with teachers and learners. So thanks again for joining me. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all sorts of different subjects. So please listen to some of those. And I will speak to you again next week if you want to join me. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. want to join me.